You're listening to the Outdoor Photography Podcast, episode 74. Today, I share six practical tips for photographing fall foliage. So if photographing the fall colors is still on your bucket list, stay tuned. Hi, I'm Brenda Petrella, the creator of Outdoor Photography School. Join me as I sit down with top landscape and nature photographers and outdoor industry experts to chat about creativity, composition, photography tips and techniques, essential gear, safety in the outdoors, respect for nature, and so much more. Tune in every week to learn how to create compelling and impactful images while exploring and enjoying the natural world. Welcome to the Outdoor Photography Podcast. Hello, my friends, Brenda Petrella here, here to help you create better images and reconnect with nature. With fall just around the corner, I'm already dreaming of cider donuts and pumpkin patches and corn mazes. But what I'm really excited about is the fall colors. In fact, we already have a few leaves turning here in Vermont, where I live, which always happens towards the end of August and gives us a heads up for what's coming. So I thought this would be a good time to share some photography tips on photographing the fall foliage so that you can get a head start with your planning. But before I get into the six photography tips, let's just talk a little bit about when the fall season actually is. The exact timing of the start and end of the season varies by state, but generally in the Northern Hemisphere, it starts at the end of September and ends in early November. So as the temperatures begin to drop and the daylight hours shorten, chlorophyll, which is the green pigment that gives leaves their green color, slowly starts to break down in the leaves. And in the absence of chlorophyll, other leaf pigments start to become more visible, such as those contributing to the oranges and reds and yellows that we associate with fall colors. Now, most leaf peepers and photographers strive to find peak foliage, which is the short period of time, usually just a couple of days to a week, when the majority of the leaves have turned their brilliant colors and they're still on the trees. But if there's one thing I've learned in my 20 plus years of living in Vermont, it's that the exact timing of peak foliage is elusive and not something you can actually plan for very accurately. When the peak actually happens can vary by two or more weeks year to year. And so it's helpful to be aware of some of the factors that contribute to the timing and intensity of the fall colors and to accept that the exact timing and location of peak foliage can be a little bit like a Bigfoot sighting. A bit unpredictable, but you'll know it when you see it. One of the main contributors to the timing and intensity of the fall colors is weather, specifically the previous winter's snowpack and the spring and summer rainfall, which impact the overall health of the forest. And that's not just the health of the trees, but also of certain insects and fungi and how they contribute to the overall forest health as well. And then come fall, daily temperatures and storms play a more immediate role in the outcome of the fall foliage season. So, for example, the best colors are brought out by warm, sunny days and cool nights. And on the flip side, a passing storm could blow the colored leaves off prematurely in some localized areas. This year in New England, we're in a bit of a drought, except for the northernmost areas. So the colors may be delayed a little bit this year, although fall foliage experts haven't fully given their predictions just yet. We're also in an El Nino year, and that usually means more unsettled weather here in the Northeast in the fall. 
Photographer and previous meteorologist Jim Salge wrote an excellent article for New England Today about this year's foliage forecast with a focus on New England, but he also gives tips for the rest of the U.S. as well. So I'll link to it in the show notes for your reference. So you'll have a much more enjoyable and productive experience photographing the fall colors if you embrace pre and post peak foliage as well. And there are plenty of photographic opportunities all season long. So regardless of when the foliage season actually happens this year, the one thing that we can depend on is the fact that the colors will change first in the northernmost latitudes and at higher elevations. So when you're planning your trip, if you're planning to go earlier in the season, say late September or early October, you may want to head to the more northernmost areas and to the mountains. Whereas if you're going later in the season, say mid to late October, then you'll want to stick more to the valleys and more southern areas. Thankfully, state tourism boards and a number of fall foliage forecaster websites provide daily updates on the color changes, including some that have webcams. And I'll put links to these and a whole bunch of other resources in the show notes. So be sure to check them out. All right, now let's talk about a few photography tips for photographing the fall colors. So tip number one is use a circular polarizing filter. So leaves, especially when they're wet, say from the morning dew or just after a rain, tend to reflect light really well. And a circular polarizer will help cut back on some of that glare, which will enable you to capture more of the color in the leaves. Polarizers also tend to add a little bit of saturation to the image, which can help to deepen the colors a little bit. And these filters are most effective when used at a 90 degree angle from the sun, but because they're circular, you can adjust just how much polarization you want to have according to your tastes and the angle of light. And if you want to learn more about circular polarizers and other photography filters like neutral density filters, then be sure to listen to episode 38, where I go into much more detail. Okay, tip number two, shoot in RAW rather than in JPEG. So RAW format files are lossless, meaning that you can use every bit of pixel information that the camera sensor is capable of recording in your editing process. And using a RAW converting program like Adobe Lightroom, you can non-destructively develop those photographs and you don't lose any pixel information. On the other hand, JPEGs are what's called a lossy file, lossy file, meaning that the camera performs some in-camera processing based on your settings, and these changes are destructive. And so some pixel information is being thrown out and is not recoverable. So if you want to have the most leverage in getting your fall foliage images to your liking, especially when it comes to getting the colors right, you're going to want to use raw format. And for more information about what is digitally included in raw format files, be sure to listen to episode 62. Okay, tip number three is to slightly exposed to the left or ETTL. So over the years, I have found that I get better color results if I slightly underexpose a fall color image. And then in post-processing, what I'll do is bring up the white slider a little bit and then adjust the contrast using highlights and shadows and black sliders and sometimes also the tone curve. And generally, when I take this approach, mostly just adding some contrast to the scene, 
I never need to add vibrance or saturation, which we'll talk about more in another tip. Back in episode 30, I discussed what exposing to the left or ETTL and exposing to the right or ETTR are and how to use the histogram to determine your exposure. Typically, for high dynamic range scenes or scenes where there's a big difference between the highlights and shadow areas, then it's generally a good practice to expose to the right without clipping the highlights so that you record as much of the shadow information as possible. Conversely, for fall colors, I like to expose to the left or slightly underexpose the image so that the luminosity histogram shifts to the left a little bit without clipping the blacks because I find that this results in the richest colors. That said, every composition is different and what you want to portray in your photograph should dictate what you would consider a proper exposure. So this is just a general guideline. Tip number four, check your RGB histogram. If your composition contains a lot of vibrant reds and oranges, then be sure to check the color or the RGB histogram to make sure that the red channel is not being clipped, even if your luminosity histogram looks fine. If the red channel is blown out, it will be very difficult to adjust the red in post-processing and the color may end up looking a bit washed out or off hue. So if you find that the red channel is blown out, then slightly underexpose the image like we just discussed in the previous tip or even consider bracketing the exposure instead. Keep in mind that the color histogram on your camera's LCD is not the same histogram as the raw file itself but rather it represents a compressed JPEG file that your camera created so that you can preview what the RAW file might look like. And because the RAW files have more dynamic range than JPEGs, it is entirely possible that the JPEG preview image might have a clipped red channel, but the RAW file is fine. So as you get to know your camera more and how it processes information, you'll be able to use more discretion about just how much to slightly expose to the left in the field to avoid the red channel clipping in the raw file. All right, tip number five, understand how light affects color. So if you listen to episode 68 on light, you know that light is just light and knowing how to work with the light you have is the key to being able to photograph on any day in any condition. So let's talk a little bit about how light affects color. The direction and quality of light will affect how vibrant or washed out the fall colors will appear in a photograph. On a bright sunny day that's perfect for hiking, the colors may look breathtaking to you, but they are actually more challenging to photograph. It's really easy to blow out the red channel and the colors sometimes appear more rusty than vibrant in the final image. Now, a polarizing filter will help with this a little bit, but generally, if it's a bright sunny day, you're better off looking for more intimate and small scene types of compositions where your subject is not in direct light. So, for example, you can take portraits of leaves or reflections of the colors on a still pond or colors of the fallen leaves scattered on the forest floor or even other forest plants like ferns that are also transitioning but may not be as vibrant in color and so forth. If you want to get the boldest color, then low angle front light is what will warm up and enhance the vibrancy of the fall colors. But again, watch your RGB histogram when using low angle front light. Side light softens the color a little bit, giving a more soothing and even glowing appearance to the colors. 
and using side light will allow you to get the full effect of a circular polarizing filter as well. Side light also brings out details and textures and intimate subjects like tree bark or the edges of leaves. And backlight is when the light is coming from behind your subject. So this is great to use if you want to capture light coming through a leaf and adding more to the glow of that leaf or even creating sun stars coming through trees of a forest. My personal preference is to photograph on overcast or partly cloudy days because the clouds even out the shadows and highlights, which makes it a lot easier to expose for the colors. And using the post-processing methods I mentioned earlier, an overcast day can make the warmer colors of fall stand out even more without the colors looking overdone or artificial, which can be very easy to do. Overcast days are also great for photographing waterfalls, rivers and streams, reflections, hillsides, intimate nature scenes, and more. You can find a diversity of compositions all day on a cloudy day, in my opinion. All right, last but not least, tip number six, use the vibrance and saturation sliders sparingly. One of the easiest ways to ruin your fall foliage images is to overuse the vibrance and saturation sliders in post-processing and not understand the difference between how these sliders work. More is not always better in this case. Both the vibrance and saturation sliders affect the intensity of any given color, but how they adjust the intensity is different. So the saturation slider changes the intensity of all the colors equally and non-discriminately. So even the individual colors that are already quite intense in the raw file, thanks to Mother Nature, will also be amplified. The saturation slider can easily oversaturate colors to the point of them looking artificial, especially oranges and reds. And this is why the saturation slider should be used very sparingly, if at all, when processing fall foliage images. Oftentimes, adjusting just the tonal contrast slightly is all that's needed in order to make the colors pop. Unlike the saturation slider, the vibrance slider is more discerning and can detect which colors are already intense and only apply saturation to the more muted colors. Vibrance also only works on the midtones of an image, and as a result, adjusting the vibrance slider is an effective way to boost the intensity of colors in a more realistic and balanced way. Even then, it's wise to use just a little bit and not overdo it, and you may not need it at all. And I suggest that after you develop your photographs, it's always a good idea to give your eyes a bit of a break and come back and review your final adjustments later. You may find that you actually need to back off on some of the intensity changes that you've made to the colors if they look a little too unnatural. All right. Thanks so much for tuning in to this Tidbit Tuesday. As always, I appreciate you and I hope you're able to get out and photograph some of the fall colors this season. You can find the links to all the information mentioned today in the show notes at outdoorphotographypodcast.com slash 74. And just a heads up, I am in the process of updating and improving my Compose with Clarity virtual workshop. So if you're interested in learning about composition in a way that doesn't involve rules or breaking them, then listen out for future announcements about that. And if you want to learn more, just go to composewithclarity.com. And if you sign up for my newsletter, you'll be the first to know when it will be offered. Next week, I'll be sitting down with wildlife photographer Colleen Guerra to chat about how to safely connect with wildlife subjects so that you can capture their personalities, the critical role of predators in maintaining a healthy ecosystem, 
memorable moments with wildlife, and a whole lot more. So be sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss out on this or any of our upcoming episodes. And so until then, get outside, my friends, and find yourself a little nature. Take care.